This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Grab a seat. It is great uh, to see you this morning, especially if today is your very first time hanging out with us at C3. I just want to say thank you for being here. And we want you to know in the life of C3 that you really do matter. In fact, your future is our focus. And so uh, this morning, I want to talk about something that every single one of us can do. Now, some of you, you're already good at this. But others of you, there is um, room for improvement. But the good news is, you and I can begin today turning up the volume in this one area of our life that will impact every single relationship that you have. I wonder when you were a kid, what did you dream about? For me, it was simple. I grew up in Texas, and my, my favorite team was the Dallas Cowboys, and I, after last weekend, I'm, I'm for the first time in my life kind of questioning that. Any Cincinnati Bengal fans in the room? Any Cincinnati fans? Like, it's okay, Cincinnati fans. I just want to congratulate you ahead of time, because you're probably going to win today against Dallas. That's all. But I was a Dallas fan, but I watched this guy on TV. This was way back in the day when it was the Houston Oilers and Earl Campbell. Earl, now, stu, y- y'all don't know, like if you don't know Earl Campbell, Google it this afternoon. Just watch a couple videos. You will be impressed. Men, it will make you jealous. Ladies, it will make you want a new husband. Like this guy, his thighs were bigger than that. Like he would just run through people. And it was my dream as a little kid. I wanted to be Earl Campbell. Then, then my dream was to be a police officer. Then my dream was to be an attorney. Then my dream was to be an architect. By the time... I went to college, I was going to be a dentist, in fact. If, if you want an amazing bride, this is how you do it. I was going to be a dentist when we started dating. And then it wasn't until I had her heart, I'm going to be a pastor. Like, so that's how you, that's how you do it. But, but our dreams, we spend so much time chasing our dreams, but one of the things I've noticed is as we get older, you know what I've noticed happen? We stop dreaming. Like a lot of you, the things that you used to dream about, the marriage that you would have or the career path you would take or, or what you hoped, the, the idea you had for your family, some things have changed and you just don't dream anymore. And for some of you, there's a, there's a flicker of hope that maybe, somehow, you can at least see or achieve part of it, but you have no idea how to get there. So if it happens, it's just going to be accidental. Like one day you may wake up and boom, better marriage. And you have not like just, just, just you're, you're sticking it out and hopefully one day it'll be better. One day you, you've tried everything you know to try with your, your child and nothing seems to be working, but you're just hoping one day all of a sudden maybe they'll get it or you'll get it and it'll just be better. That, that job, you just keep plugging away and you're hoping maybe one day, but you're, you're hoping all these things but you don't really believe it's going to happen. So if we don't think it's going to happen, and life tends to teach us through circumstances and people that, listen, sometimes it's hard and sometimes life's tough and sometimes life's unfair. If we kind of begin to fade on the dreams and fade on the hope, why do we still do it? 
what is it that keeps just a little bit of it alive in us? I think it's simple. It's because you're wired that way. God created you to crave significance. God created you to chase a purpose. God created you to not just exist and breathe on planet earth and you have your check-in date when you were born and your check-out date when you take your last breath. God created you for more than just an existence where you take up space and have some good days and some rough days and live sort of a mediocre life. You were created for so much more than that and even if you don't believe it, you know it. Because there's something inside you that wants to live a significant life, and it's because God designed you that way. We spend a lifetime looking for something or someone to give our lives to. That, that person or that thing that will help us achieve the idea or the purpose for which we, we think we're here. We're going to give our time, our money, our emotional and physical energy to whatever it is the person or the thing that we want to be a part of, something that will not only improve our lives, but somehow maybe make the world a better place. And it's just because that's how you're made. And I would submit to you, and you might, you might disagree with what I'm about to say, and if you do, I still love you. You're wrong, but I still, I still love you. And if you do disagree, maybe you're not a Christ follower and you're here and you're kind of checking it out. Somebody invited you, or maybe you're going through something in your life, and you're trying to figure out, is the whole God thing real? Could there really be a God that loves me so much, he invites me to call him Father, and wants to forgive me and live inside me and help me navigate this life? Is that really true? And you're just kind of evaluating. You're kind of checking it out. So the statement I'm going to make, just, just hang with me for a minute, even if you disagree on the surface. And here's the statement. There's nothing greater that you can give your life to than the local church. There's nothing that has more impact. You, you, you think about it for a second. No other belief system, faith, religion has lasted longer. More people have claimed to become followers of Jesus than followers of anybody else. Now here's what's interesting. When you have something that large, like there's not a leader, there's not one person on earth we can, we can point to and say, hey, that's our guy. We don't even have a headquarters. Like there's not an office you can go to to complain to when you don't like something. We're, we're a part of the church globally, worldwide, that has no leader, specific leader on earth, no headquarters you can go to, and yet changes lives every single week. And here's the unique thing about it. We don't even agree on a lot of stuff. You get about four Christ followers together, you have 15 opinions. Like, we, we, we'll fight before we love any day of the week. We, we, we have a hard time getting along. We're, we're disorganized. We're, we're clunky in what we do so often. And there's so many different churches and flavor of the month, if you like this kind of thing or that kind of thing. It, it, it looks like a conglomerated mess. But somehow, it's the church that's the hope of the world. And somehow, God uses the church to impact and change not just people's lives, but also their eternity. How is that even possible? very simple. Because God is involved. Because God is involved. That's the only way churches impact lives. We, we've seen now over 170 people give their lives to Jesus in 10 months. 10 months. I promise you, I can't do that. 
And man, I love you, but listen, you can't do that. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what he's using is you. Those of you that serve, those of you that pray, those of you that give, man, those of you that invite people, you are the difference makers. You, you are the secret sauce that the Holy Spirit of God is using to impact C3 and impact through C3 into people's lives. It's incredible when you think about what the church really is. And the church was God's idea. Like as, as awkward as we often make it, as difficult as sometimes we make things, and we, we have a way, God has a way of simplifying things and we have a way of making things far more complicated. All that we've done to blow up what God initiated and it's still here. And, and if you're not a Christ follower and you have a bad church story, hey, welcome to the club, we all do. If there's been a time that you were hurt in church or a family member was hurt in church and you remember when you were younger, we used to go, but then we stopped going and I'm not really sure what happened. I heard some conversations around the dinner table, but some junk was messed up and we stopped. Listen, let me be the first to apologize to you because as the church, we do an amazing job of misrepresenting a perfect savior. Your problem is not with Jesus, it's with people who are broken and messed up, but somehow, somehow God still uses us. And you're never closer. You're never closer and more a part of what God's doing in the world than when you're a part of a local church. Now, you, you might say, hey, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. Like, this is the company line. This is what you're supposed to say. No, I can promise. I would say this if I weren't a pastor. When I think about how the church has changed my life, I met Jesus in church. The greatest friends I've had in my lifetime, I met most of them, not all, most of them in church. I met my bride in church. Like the, the relationships that have helped me go further, faster, it happened in church. It's been incredibly powerful in my life. And when you serve through the church, you attend the church, you invite others to church, you, you pray for your church, you invest in your church, you're putting your time and your attention and your energy and your money into something that matters more than anything else on planet earth, the church, which is the hope of the world. So that thing inside you, that craves more, the thing inside you that wants a life of significance, you're wired that way because God has called you and me, if you're a follower of Christ, to be a part of the church. That's what we prioritize. That's what we invest our time, our money, our energy, our focus in because nothing else changes people's lives and nothing else changes the world like the church. We're in Romans chapter 15. If you're a guest, we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. And the reason we're doing that is it's full of doctrine. Doctrine is what God says about things. It's not his opinion. God has no opinions. He only has truth. And doctrine is what God says about life and how to live it. And the incredible thing about Romans is it shows us who God is. It shows us who we are. And then it shows us what we can do about it. And really chapters 12 through 16 deal with how we relate to each other and how we get along with each other and how to do life with each other even when a lot of times there are disagreements and there are things that we struggle with and things that we like and things that we don't like. How do we do that? So chapters 1 through 11 says, hey, here's what God's done for you. 12 through 16 is here's what God wants to do in and through you. Chapter 15, verse 14, it's where we come to today. Paul has been talking to the church now he's going to be talking about the church. Did, did, you know, did you know that people talk about you? Like, did you know that? 
Now, some of you, people talk way more about you in your head than they do in reality. Some of you, you assume a lot of things people are saying about you, they ain't even thinking about you. But, but isn't it interesting how much we pay attention to, how much we lean into, how much we want to know, what, what are they saying about me? And so the Holy Spirit inspires Paul, it's the word of God, but through Paul, to talk about the church. Chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, it's a family term. When you're a part of the church, you're a part of the spiritual family of God. My brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, when people, when people talk about you, is that what they say? Full of goodness. Good night, you need to know they're full of goodness. And filled with knowledge. And competent. They've lived so much life and overcome so much life. There's somebody you can learn from if you're going through something difficult. He's talking about the people in the church. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. You can be a follower of Jesus long enough that we can almost get over what Jesus did for us. And he's saying, hey, I've written you about some stuff that you need to be reminded about. You need to go back and think about again. You need to refamiliarize yourself with what you've become so familiar with that it's lost its impact in your life. Like if you can wake up on a Monday and roll through your week and the thought never crosses your mind how much God loves you and that he gave his son for you and what it costs Jesus for you to be able to know God in a personal way. Like if you can just roll through day-to-day life and never even consider that, you need to be reminded of some things. The greatest thing sometimes you can do is not try to plan your future, but recognize what God did in your past that will build your future. And sometimes we disconnect with that. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's talking about the Gentiles. And you've noticed through Romans, he talks about the Jews and he talks about the Gentiles. Basically, it would be like if he's addressing the Jews would be considered the far right. The Gentiles would be considered the far left. You could say Republican, Democrat, but I won't because it's church. So far right, far left. And he's saying, hey, there's some of you, you're so... You're so religious, you're caught up in your beliefs, you're caught up in your religion, and you've drawn a whole lot of lines where God didn't, and you've created kind of a structure that you think is best, and you've, you've kind of forgotten God. You've made the whole religion thing just kind of about you, and you need to be reminded it's not about you. You need to be reminded that you can come off as judgmental and critical. You, you need to be reminded that you don't have it all together. And, and then to the Greeks, he would say, hey, you're, you're, you're kind of like the far left. You, you, you think anything's okay, nothing's a big deal, nothing matters, And you need to understand that there's not your truth and my truth. There's the truth. You need to understand that God created you, and that means one day God gets to judge you, and you will stand before him. There's some very real things you need to understand about the love of God and its power to change your life. And God is not interested in being a convenient accomplice to what you want to do. His desire is to be the Lord of your life, which means he's in charge. There. See, I don't know if y'all noticed, we got the lights fixed, but yeah, not real sure what that was about. 
That's awesome though. But what, what Paul, what the Holy Spirit's doing through Paul is he's trying to say to those on the far right and those on the far left, it is not about meeting in the middle. It is not about coming in, it's about going up. It's about following the example of Jesus. And if you're over here and I'm over here and we start going up together, as we get closer to Jesus and we live more like Jesus, you know what happens? We get closer to each other. This is how you're able to disagree with somebody yet still love them. This is how you're able to be kind to people that are unkind. This is how you're able to live representing Jesus well in a world that looks at the church as judgmental and hateful. This is how it's accomplished. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There is one thing that some of you are good at, but you could be better. There's one thing that some of you need some improvement on. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's a season of life thing. Some seasons of life, I I seem to be doing better in this area than in other seasons of life. What is Paul doing as he begins to talk about the church? He's encouraging them. Have you ever had somebody walk up to you? Like, has your seven-year-old ever gotten up in the morning and come to you and said, Mom, Dad, you're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct. I want to learn everything I can from you. Like, he's encouraging them. And here's the thing. Here's what's so brilliant about this, and this is one of the reasons we know the the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it, because God knows how we're wired. Right here, he's bringing a lot of encouragement. That's like making emotional deposits in the relationship, because in the next chapter, he's going to make a withdrawal. He has a critique. And so he's setting it up saying, hey, there's some encouragement I want to give you. There's a correction coming, but right now there's some encouragement. He's saying, stop focusing on how broken you are and how you're not where you want to be and notice the progress that's happened in your life. He's saying to an entire group of people, you're full of goodness. You know why I said that? Because they weren't good before. You're filled with knowledge. You know why I said that? Because they used to be stupid. You're you're competent to instruct. You've learned some things, and it's obvious by what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. You've learned some things, and now people can learn from you. you. You can help others. He's saying God has literally changed who you are. And we spend so much time in life recognizing where we've blown it and rarely seeing where he's grown it. We know all the things we mess up, and we try to ignore that, or we try to avoid it, or we try to act like in front of other people are better, but isn't it true that so much of the time, the most critical voice that you ever hear is the one in your own head? You may be repeating what a mom or a dad or a grandma or a teacher or a coach said to you at some point in life, but, but you, you are your biggest critic, and you focus on everything that's not where you want it to be. But, but what if you were to just pause every single day and just, just for a moment, just for a moment, glance and say, you know what, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I see the Spirit of God working in my life. And as I look back in my life, I see evidence of the Holy Spirit, and He's changing some things. I, I don't quite have the temper I used to always have. My, my words are not as sharp and as harsh as they used to be. 
God has changed some things. And I, I look into the future, and man, I see there's a lot of need. There's still some areas I need to grow. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God what he's done in my life. And so when he says full of goodness, where do you think the goodness comes from? The Holy Spirit of God. It is an evidence of what God can and is doing in people's lives. He's saying, I, I see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if the Holy Spirit's in your life, what that means is there's hope for you. See, when the Spirit of God invades your life, it changes you. If you, if you have a story of, listen, I invited Jesus into my life and nothing changed. You may have prayed a prayer, but I don't know that you met Jesus. Because you think about this, God... If he sends his spirit to live in your life, if God is God, if there is a God and he has a spirit that he sends to live inside you, would it not make sense to you and me on a logical level, and God is even above that, would it not make sense to you and I that, that some things should change? Part of our struggle is, some of you, you're a Christ follower, you gave your life to Jesus, and it's not that things didn't change, they haven't changed fast enough for you. Some changes are instant the Spirit of God living inside you, forgiven of your sin, home in heaven when this life is over. Instant. You got that the moment you invited Jesus to come into your life. Some things are more gradual because there are some patterns in your thinking that turned into how you walk in your day-to-day -day life and patterns have to be rewired. I, I know people that have become followers of Christ, for example, that were alcoholics and some of them it's, it's more rare, but some of them like immediately, God just like done, they're good. Others, it was a struggle for a period of time. And by the way, don't ever judge somebody else's progress by yours. You're not competing against anybody. If you're competing, if you want to compete against somebody, Jesus, that's your guy. Nobody else. And by the way, every time I compete against Jesus, I lose. Like he wins every time. He's never lost. And part of what we do is we look around and we look, you, you think about maybe you've been a Christ follower for a while and you look at your life and you think about, man, I, I wish God was, would answer my prayers the way he answers there, man. That, that guy, he lost his job and in two weeks he's got a better job, pay raise, new house, like it's amazing and that's not happening to me, why not? You're, you're not supposed to be looking there, you're supposed to be looking there. And somehow in God's timing, it's not that he loves you less, it's that he knows more about where you are, and, and maybe it doesn't even have to do with you. Maybe he's preparing what he has for you, and it's not ready yet. But it all comes from what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our lives, and he's saying, I, I see this evidence. And sometimes the change when you become a Christ follower is gradual, sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's dramatic, and sometimes it's in the small things. But the change that God brings is transformational over time. Now, notice a couple of phrases in these verses. Filled with knowledge. That's where we open our Bibles to learn. He's talking about encouragement, but you can't learn to encourage somebody else until you're encouraged. It's interesting to me. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There's something that happens when you open your Bible to learn and you allow it to be a mirror into your life, not binoculars for somebody else's life, and you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and to change you and transform you, and there's some things you read in the Word of God, and it is instant. You read, wow, God said, don't do that. I've been doing that. I need to stop. God said, you need to be doing this, and I haven't been doing this. I need to dive in. Some changes are instant. Others are more gradual, just like with your kids. 
As you raise kids, those of you that are parents, you know that, man, some things, they just get faster than others. It's just part of life. Filled with knowledge is where we open our Bibles to learn and we allow the Spirit of God to encourage us. And here's what's interesting. Man, I just, I wish there was somebody, I wish I had a friend that was more encouraging. I just wish there was somebody that could be positive with me. I I wish, not delusional, honest about areas that I need to improve, but somebody that would just notice the things that God has changed because I'm not where I was. I, I just wish I had a friend like that. You do. His name is Jesus. Filled with knowledge as we open our Bibles to learn, but David encouraged himself. How often do you encourage yourself? How often do you criticize yourself? Which voice do you listen to most? What do you hear most? What what are the patterns that you've developed in your thinking about you? One of the things that is so powerful about spending a few moments every day in the Word of God, just reading a few verses, is how the Spirit of God is able to encourage you. And encouragement doesn't flow out of you until it flows in you, but you have the responsibility to chase Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life through the Word of God and encourage you. David encouraged himself. If you're not finding encouragement, you're not spending time with God. Filled with knowledge as we open our Bibles to learn. Competent to instruct as we open our lives to love. We open our Bibles to learn. But if your learning doesn't produce loving, you're not allowing the Spirit of God to work in your life. We don't read our Bibles to prove people we disagree with wrong. We don't read our Bibles for some personal agenda. And what I've noticed in life is so often crisis hits and we go running to the Word of God, and we'll start reading the Word of God. God, please, would you work this out? God, please, would you save my marriage? God, God, please, would you, would you help my child? I've done all I know to do. God, please, would you work out this situation at work? God, please. And then when he does, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Years ago, this guy wanted to have breakfast with me. Years ago. And the first time we had breakfast, he said, uh, I'm up for a promotion, and I really want this promotion. And man, I'm trying to ask God, I'd love for you to be praying, praying about that with me. We had breakfast once a week. And it was probably about two months or so. He got the promotion, and he stopped calling to have breakfast. I, I think somehow maybe he thought having breakfast with the pastor w- would put some like spiritual foo-foo juice on the promotion and somehow just all work out. But isn't it interesting? And, and before we crack on him, you and I do it too. So often in life, we go running to God when we have a need. Once the need's met, I'm good, thanks. But you miss out on what the Spirit of God can build on in your life. The, the bricks that he wants to put on top of the foundation that he's building, he can't do if you take off. Filled with knowledge is to open our Bibles to learn. Competent to instruct is to open our lives to love. That's encouraging others, and it's what Sundays are all about. That's what we do. We open our Bibles to learn, to be sometimes encouraged, sometimes convicted, ultimately transformed, and we open our lives to love people to love the people that come. Man, those of you that serve, that's what you're doing every single Sunday. You're not just opening your Bibles in the room to learn. You're putting in action what you're learning and you're opening your lives to love by giving of your time to serve the needs of others and allow God to work through you. You have no idea what it means to people. You know the most common thing that I hear about C3 is how friendly you are. Now, if you've been in church any time, you know surface friendly 
like remember old school church where there was a time in the service where we'd say, okay, stand up and shake somebody's hand around you, and you're thinking, oh, dear God. But it was that, morning, how are you? But they don't really give a flying rip about you. Like, but you authentically, your smiles transcend barriers and souls and help people feel warm about what God's doing in this place because you authentically love God and love others. In church, it's rare. It's one of the reasons I feel so blessed to be your pastor. I, I get way more out of knowing you than you get out of knowing me because of how you love. And the Holy Spirit uses that and he shows up and he, he changes lives. So you may not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you used to be. And what we have to remember in the process is following Jesus, listen, 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 following Jesus, your life as a Christ follower is not about perfection, it's about progress. It's not about being perfect, it's about progress. Learning to celebrate what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life in those areas that you obey him, those areas that you, you yield to him. One of the things I know is you all want a friend that won't expect you to be perfect and will celebrate progress in your life. The kind of friend that notices the changes, that notices where you're improving, that notices how God is working in your life, that knows you're not perfect. Then I, I, I think about all the years of C3. I pastored a church before C3 in Orlando, and all these years, I don't know if he's in the room because he's usually working somewhere Barry Leathers may be outside. I don't know if he's in the room, but Barry's on our team. Barry has been with me almost 20 years on staff, not because I'm perfect. He doesn't expect perfection out of me. We, we've been lo together longer than most marriages. It's incredible. He, he doesn't expect perfection because of his spiritual character and the grace of God in his life. He shows me grace, and he sees a little bit of progress, and that's all he needs. And it's how you build lifelong friendships. And if, if you're thinking, man, I, I wish I had that kind of friend. You know how you can have that kind of friend? Be that kind of friend. You go first. Don't wait for people to start showing that to you. You go first. And don't expect perfection out of people. And isn't it interesting? Our definition of perfection has to do with our own preferences. Don't expect perfection out of people. Even in the areas where the word of God is crystal clear, look for progress in people's lives. Parents, if you want to jack up your kids, expect perfection out of them. No, no, no. When you learn to celebrate progress, it stimulates growth. People imitate what we celebrate. When you learn to celebrate the progress in somebody's life, it is encouraging to them. You help them believe that God is doing something in their life. It's obvious. You can see it. It's clear. And you celebrate that and you applaud that. You don't need to worry about being an inspector. Be a cheerleader. And guys, if cheerleader, like, I'm not no cheerleader. Texas A&M, be a yell leader. You can do it. But encourage people. Be that kind of person. Then notice, notice verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. It means I give him all reverence. He gets all credit. It's all about him. He's the one doing it. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to hard name, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. How often do you pay attention? Notice what he says. I, I, I won't speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. When's the last time you thought about what God's done through you? 
I mean, literally. And sometimes we have to think about our obedience, not the results. Because often you don't get to see the results. I, in my position, I, I get a front row seat to people's life stories. I, I get to hear what God's doing in people's lives, and I love it, and I wish I could share every week, but a lot of that is confidential, and I can't. But so often, you stand at the door, and you greet people, and you have no idea the impact you're having. You don't get to see the results. Trust the Holy Spirit for the results. You be a part of what God's doing, and through that, know that you're encouraging people. But pay attention to where the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You'll be encouraged. There, there are deposits of encouragement in your soul, and it will, it will bring you hope. So what is God doing in your life? If you're a follower of Christ, where are you compared to where you used to be? What has changed in your thoughts or your thinking patterns? What has changed in how you treat the people you love and how you treat the people you barely know? What are the areas that you see God changing you and you know, man, that, that's not me. That is not how I'm wired. That is not naturally me. That is something supernatural that God is doing. And learn to celebrate it. And when you have people that you love, that you want to see change, you lead with encouragement, not criticism. We criticize people right out of hope. You criticize somebody long enough They'll believe about themselves what you're saying. One of the most damaging things you can do in a marriage, in a family, in close relationships is criticize more than encourage. And encouragement doesn't mean you ignore the things that are issues. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you bring the encouragement first. Like Paul, chapter 15, let me encourage you a little bit. Chapter 16, there's some corrections you need to make. You bring the encouragement first. Encouragement gives birth to hope and instills confidence and security. Criticism does one thing. It steals the potential of what could have been. I've never seen anybody criticized to a better life. I've never seen a marriage where the husband or the wife says, you know, my, my spouse, they just were on me, just day in, day out, just hammering away. And finally I said, oh my gosh, I need to change my life. I've never seen that happen. I have heard the story of grown men who don't cry in front of anybody, shed a tear telling me she was so patient. She loved me when I acted in such unlovable ways. How kind she was to me. And I guess God used that to soften my heart. And he's doing a work in my life because of how patient she's been. Criticism. Are you an encourager? Or a critic? Are, are you the person when it's time to, to stand and pray? We can say, okay, let's all hold hands and pray. So and so, lead us in a word of criticism. Like, are, are you that person? Like, everybody just knows that's what you're bringing. That's what you've got something critical to say about everybody, everything. That's just the atmosphere around you. And you've told yourself it's just who you are, but the reality is the Spirit of God inside you is bigger than any part of you of who you are, and the Spirit of God has the power to transform your life. And just because it's who you are, it's not who you have to be, and you can be so much more. It was in the 1970s. The book came out, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It says in part... I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. And by mistake, I, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
Alexander knew it was going to be a terrible day when he woke up with gum in his hair, and it got worse. His best friend in the book deserts him. There was no dessert in his lunch bag. And on top of that, for dinner, lima beans and no TV. It's interesting when you think about it, we can start thinking, and if you're not careful, part of the criticism comes that that you and I have taught our brains to see what's wrong. We notice everything that's wrong. It's a condition that can happen in marriages. People, when they've been married a very long time, there's a psychological term for it that I do not remember. It's just big word, big word, two words. I remember that. But, but where we can almost reframe the history of the relationship, and it's all negative. And listen, you, you may be married to Satan's son or daughter, but the reality is when you look for the negative, it's what you're going to find. It's not that there aren't some negative things. But our thinking patterns, if, if you always notice what's wrong about the day, like gum is stuck in your hair, hey, Jethro, at least you got hair. I mean, w- when you look at, at what you could be thinking about, I mean, think about it. But we notice the negative things. The Gottman Institute said, in your conversations, the ratio of encouragement to criticism for people in the United States, for every one comment of encouragement, there are six comments of criticism every day. For every one encouragement, there are six criticisms, criticisms and, and we, we wonder what's wrong. We think in negative patterns. We criticize people we're supposed to love. We, we, we're bothered by things that we shouldn't be bothered by. We're right on the edge of being offended all the time, and we let it get to us, and we let it bother us, and it affects us, and it impacts us. Six to one. It's why there's so much hostility in families. It's why moms and dads and siblings argue all the time. It's why we live in a world that's extremely critical. We we drift toward criticism is our natural tendency because we are sinful people. You have to fight for it. You have to be intentional about being an encourager in your life. And it starts with encourage yourself, open your Bible to learn. And then as we open our Bible to love, we encourage others. And we do it in three circles of conversations very quickly. The conversations of influence. These are our friends, our teammates, our neighbors. In those circles, do you bring more encouragement than criticism? And then our our inner circle, our our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our kids, people that we, we easily take for granted. And usually it's the people that we take for granted that we drift toward criticism more often. And... A very common pattern is that often parents encourage their kids more than they do their spouse. You're still creating a legacy of criticism if what they learn from you and how to treat their future spouse is to be a critic. You might think you're encouraging them, but you're setting them up for a kind of thinking and a pattern that's going to bring damage to their marriage and their relationship. And then the third circle is is in life a broader circle, people that we occasionally interact with at the coffee shop, the concession stand, the ball field. You might think, you know, it just it sounds unfair. I've got to step up and do all this. You mean, I, I, how, how come, man, I, I just wish somebody would do this for me because emotionally I'm worn out 
And I live in an atmosphere of criticism. When I go to the office, when I get home from work, it, like everywhere I turn, somebody's always got something to say about what I'm doing wrong. And you know what? A lot of time they're right. And I'd love to defend myself and give excuses. And I can, and that creates arguments. But I, I live in that kind of atmosphere. And I, I'm supposed to go first. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived according to God. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You're waiting on something that you have to initiate. You're waiting on something that starts with you living what you believe. This is life-changing. Solomon is acknowledging this reality. All of us need to be encouraged, yes. But you get to go first. I get to go first. See, in every one of these circles, influence, inner, and life, we suffer from self-doubt and insecurity. How do you know? How do you know in, in your family who needs encouraging? At the office, who, who needs to be encouraged? How do you know when you walk into the classroom at school, who, who needs encouragement today? How do you know on the ball field? How do you know on your neighborhood? How do you know if someone needs encouragement? There was a massive study done called Life, and this, here's the answer. You know if someone needs encouragement if they're breathing. Every single person. I've never heard anybody say, my week, too much encouragement. <laughs> I, I've never heard that. Nobody says that. Now, I'm not, listen, encouragement is not, oh, you look good when they look like a train wreck. That's not encouragement, that's lying. <laughs> en encouragement is where you bring, encouragement is where you, you pull back the curtains on a window somebody's not looking through about themselves to see a reality that's already there. It's not that you lie, but, but what are the things where you see progress in somebody's life or there's something you bring? Everybody has stuff that God has put in them that there's something good about them. Whether they're a Christ follower or not, you're a creation of God. God created us in his image, man or a woman. Apparently one of those two and only those two, God created us in his image. And because we're his creation, there are things we can look for to encourage because every guy carries around this question. Do I have what it takes? Ladies, if you want to know where it is for a guy, this is it. Every guy carries the question, do I have what it takes? Can, can I be the husband I really want to be? Can I be the dad I didn't have? Or if I had a good dad, can I, can I match that? Can I pass this class? Can I be a leader? Can, can I be a good friend? Can I be someone who matters? And guys walk into a world every single day asking the question, do I have what it takes? And the world saying, you don't. Guys, ladies, live every question, every day with this question. Does anyone notice me? Am I special, important, to anyone, does anybody recognize what I bring? The talents, the skills, the gifts that I have, who I am, what I'm doing. And ladies, walk in a level of insecurity because you face a critical world that makes you jump hoops to be noticed. And the target of being noticed is a moving target. And you're constantly trying to try and figure it out and you compare, do I get as many likes as they get? And do I have as many followers as they have? And other people are getting noticed and I'm not. You know where we get encouragement right? I wouldn't say right. Where we do better in encouragement? 
Funerals. Funerals. How many funerals have you been to where someone stood up and about the person in the casket said, they sucked? I hate the fact I knew them. Worst person. I mean, they, they were a liar. They committed adultery. They were an absent parent. Have you ever heard that at a funeral? Anybody? Anybody? No, you know what we do? Same person. Oh, we're going to miss him. We loved him so much. I remember how he, and you think about the one or two things you can come up with. You might even stretch it a little bit. John Woodall said, don't wait to give people roses of encouragement at their funeral. Give them roses of encouragement while it's still called today. Thank you. That's awesome. We're going to talk about this a little longer. They can listen. So you've got to fight for this. In your marriage, is the ratio one to six? In your parenting, is the ratio one to six? In your closest circle of friends, do you bring one encouragement and six criticisms? Is that the ratio? To your brothers or sisters or siblings, what's your ratio? Kids to your parents? By the way, see, parents are just big kids. You never reach an age where it's like, I'm good, I don't need any more encouragement. What's the ratio in your relationships? Because every single time in life you bump into somebody, it's an opportunity for encouragement. And encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. Replenish others, and you will be replenished. We spend our lives looking for something or someone to give our lives to. When you give it to the local church, you give it to Jesus and you serve through the local church, you're part of a local church. You make a difference greater than anything else you could do as we open our Bibles to learn and we open our lives to love and we encourage ourselves in the Word of God and we encourage others to know God loves you. You may not be where you want to be, but man, you're not where you were. And I'm praying this week God grows you even more. Would you pray with me this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to invite Jesus to come into your life. There's something inside you saying, hey, that's what you need. If that's where you are with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if today you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sins, give you a home in heaven after this life, and the Spirit of God to live inside you, to make it possible for you to be encouraged day by day through him and for you to encourage others. So you, you can't live this life if you don't know Jesus because it's the Spirit of God that lives it through us. So today, if you'd like to give your life to Christ, just, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for watching. If you just prayed that prayer, text your first name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron would love to be praying for you throughout this week. If you'd like to give, head over to giveC3.cc. Thank you so much for your continued faithful generosity. And we'd like to invite you to subscribe to this YouTube channel so you can get every update and every weekly service that we put out. And if you're in the Central Florida area, we'd love to have you join us and it wouldn't be the same without you. Have a great week.